the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Throughout life, we go on different journeys. Some bring us to wonderful destinations, while others teach valuable life lessons. Today's guest, Julie Evans' coming-of-age story has it all. Sex, drugs, a fall from grace, and a heartwarming turnaround. As a teen, Julie lost her mother and father. A series of choices left her addicted to sex, nicotine, alcohol, and cocaine. Julie made the decision to turn her life around, and today... She works to help people transform wellness into a way of life. Julie is the author of the book, Joy Road, My Journey from Addiction to Recovery. Welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Julie, let's begin by talking about your childhood. What did you experience while growing up? I guess as a child, um, it's kind of hard to discern that your life is all that different from other people's. But as a child, my life was very different from the neighborhood kids because my mother was an alcoholic, and she was also a very warm and loving and adventurous woman. Um, We come from a Native American background, so her sensitivity to alcohol was even more profound than some people's. And I would have this marvelous, marvelous companion and mentor during the day, and then about four in the afternoon, my mother would just disappear into the bottle. Mm Mm-hmm. And were you an only child? No, I wasn't. Uh, I have a sister who's 20 years older and was out of the house when I was born. And then I have a sister that's five years older. And she kind of kept herself uh, hidden away in her room most of the time. And then when did you lose your father? When I was 17, uh, just uh, maybe about six or seven months apart from one another. Okay. And then after your parents died, who took care of you? What was your life like then? Well, Joan, it's interesting because back in that day, there weren't the marvelous resources that we have now. Mm -hmm. So really, who took care of me most of my life was a horse. And his name was Omar, before him, Pogo, and a cat named Heather. And when I say they took care of me, they gave me a purpose, they gave me a place to be, and a job to do. Um, When my parents both died, uh, I, of course, had to let go of my horse also. But in the short amount of time before my mother and I left on a trip, which she ended up dying on, I met a man named Kenny. And when I came back and my mother was dead, we were on a trip in Europe. Uh, Kenny was the only person in my life, though he only knew me two days Mm -hmm. uh, before I left. He reached out and uh, asked if he could accompany me in my life and we became boyfriend and girlfriend and that was a really great thing for me Uh, but I had to tell my dad that I was living with somebody up in Minneapolis I had gone up there to go to college I got to start college very young um, at that same time so lots of transitions not a lot of support and uh, just kind of mustering bravery more than anything Well, and that was a lot of loss that you experienced in a very short period of time. I lost my mother and my sister within five months. And so, you know, sometimes, and I don't know if you experienced this, but you weren't sure what you were actually grieving on any given day. One day it could have been your mother, another day your father. And then, 
you were in this new relationship now, and, and I would assume you were looking for someone to become your family, to to take care of you, to, you know, fill that void that you had experienced at such a young age. Yes, yes. And it's funny because when now I realize growing up in an alcoholic family, um, I actually was looking for someone to take care of. Mm-hmm. Not someone to take care of me. Right, because that was the role that you were used to. That's the role, right. And I certainly found that in in Kenny, uh, because I didn't know it, but before I met him, he had been a a heroin addict. Mm -hmm. And his family had flown him to Rochester, Minnesota, where I'm from, to enter into a drug rehabilitation program that my father actually sponsored and uh, helped create, uh, which I didn't know either. And I met him after he had gone through the detox and all that, but none of this was known to me until the heroin resurfaced uh, two years into our marriage. And is that when you started using? Well, I I have I, I started using drugs um, really young. My sister, that's twenty years older, lived in Mexico. And when we went down there on trips every winter, and the first trip down, I was eight, and they were passing around uh, some kind of marijuana, Mm -hmm. and uh, and I was busy in the kitchen as an eight-year-old making little Sally Lund muffins, and they were so popular, and people, you know, of course had the munchies, and here I was taking care of these wonderful people that were now high as kites. And when we went to leave Mexico that time, my sister said, would you take this home with you? So mom can have it because they wanted to see if we could get my mother off alcohol and have her just using marijuana. Mm -hmm. So I brought home a pound of marijuana in my suitcase as an eight-year-old. I learned how to roll joints. But again, Joan, it was never, it was, in, in those days, it was never to get high. It was just, it just seemed the most, most natural uh, evolution in the world. And again, I want to just say how sorry I am you lost so many people in such a short amount of time. The difference between you and I, I think, was age. I was 17, and I think you were already... I was in my early 40s, so yes. Right, right. right. But again, you had sort of sacrificed aspects of yourself to raise your family. So you were still searching for self as I was. Well, so you were saying that this seemed to be a normal part of life for you. So when did you realize that you had a problem, that it became more than you could handle? Um, You know, I guess there were moments as, as as a young girl, as a 10, 11, 12 year old, because as it went from marijuana, it went into mescaline and LSD, all done in the privacy of my home, all done either with my sister or my best friend, never out in the world that much, uh, never in a party atmosphere, more in a sort of mystical exploration atmosphere. Uh, but then I really realized when, when I came to New York, uh, I rode a bicycle across the country with a, a girlfriend to get a book published back years ago. And um, when we got to New York, she you know, went out and tried to get some supplies because I had, uh, I was suffering from a terrible infection. And she came back and she gave me a vial of cocaine that the millionaire that she had met gave her. And I did an enormous amount of it and realized, oh my goodness, this is something I need to kill the pain. I don't know any way other than this to do it. And it just felt so good and so, so free. And then that was cocaine. And then there's the inevitable backlash when you start, you know, come down from it. So I realized then that I kept, I was trying to feed a habit rather than to feed a quest for any kind of higher information or knowledge. Right. And you already had the addictive gene as part of your DNA. So anything that you were going to do at that point, you most likely were going to become compulsive about. Right. Right. So how did you heal? How did you turn all of this around? Well, you know, I have a beautiful little home in Woodstock, Mm -hmm. and that home was hard won, and that home was won after I had a terrible horseback riding accident in New York City, and I was brought up here to Woodstock to heal, um, to find my way, and I found my way by creating an animal sanctuary for injured wildlife. Uh, I got a pony that needed rescuing, a dog some goats. It was truly, I was upstairs and I was trying to feed a little baby bird 
And as I was trying to do this, my hands were trembling. And I looked down to my right, and there was a mirror with lines of cocaine on it. And I just realized it wasn't worth it. No answers were going to be on that mirror. No answers were going to be in that powder. My answers were going to be in service. So you found a meaning, a purpose for your life. Why do you think you were able to heal when so many other addicts are not able to to achieve the type of recovery that you have? Well, you know, I'd have to give all the glory to God right. because uh, whether I grew up knowing God by the name many people call him or not, I have always felt that there was some benevolent force that so cared for me and accompanied me. I could share my victories, I could share my sorrows, but I never felt alone. The problem is that also there's a great amount of shame that I felt from making so many mistakes, from from doing so many things that were harmful to me. So, you know, it was it's an interesting thing to 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 know there was someone there but also just so much want to please whatever that creative energy was that that gave me this beautiful life. I don't want to simplify it because it's it's a very complex issue, but I was just having a conversation with someone and we were talking about healing from grief and she was able to heal from her tremendous loss and grief because she found meaning in all that she was experiencing. You found meaning for your life. Do you think it it could be as simple and as complex as finding a purpose for your life? Do you think people use because they just feel like there's nothing for them? You know, I think on the thought level that might that might be what it is. But I like like you have so brought to our awareness, we are multifaceted. And on an emotional level, I I think it's it's a whole, mm-hmm. you know? It's an emptiness. And maybe intellectually we all want a purpose, but I, I think we, we already do know that we all have a purpose, which is to take care of ourselves and to take care of others. If you could offer advice to a family member that is struggling with an addicted loved one, how can that person best help the addict? I know that whenever I try to help anybody, because I'm a recovery ad- advocate for uh, health care as a human right, which is a... Um, free alternative health care clinic some friends and I created many years ago up here. And we offer health care to people that can't afford it. And I think that what I would say to somebody who is dealing with somebody who is in active addiction, I think you have to really just find, fill yourself with peace in whatever way you can so that your peace isn't shaken, so that your your um, presence with this person is one of just, you know, just inner peace where you you feel balance. I think when we put too much energy into somebody else being a way that we think they should be, we're sort of buying into their story. And what we want to do is we want to help them take a step back. One of my friends who was a great mentor to me said, just imagine that you're up in the balcony and you're watching the performance of your life. So you're up in the balcony, you're also the one on the stage living the life, but you've got that certain objectivity. So as a, as a, a person that loves someone that's in addiction, you know, see, see yourself as that person that wants to help that person and as that person that's helping that person. And if you can, see yourself as that person. I know that a lot of people just need to be heard, that need to, they need to just speak their truth. For me, that was very important. I found that in a pastor up here in Woodstock, and he listened to me tell my stories. And he said, why don't you just write down your earliest memory? And this was when I was just trying to quit smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So I started to write down my earliest memory, and that's the first paragraph in Joy Road, my journey from addiction to recovery. I used my uh, writing of my book to help me learn how to help people help people. So, you know, I think every case is different, Joan. If I got to sit with that friend of yours, I would come up with a solution that was very tailored for them. 
What was your recovery like? I know that it had to be a very difficult journey for you. Can you share a little bit about what you experienced while you were healing? Yes, I can. Um, when I was at the the height of uh, uh, using cocaine here in Woodstock at this house that I live in, that I that I care for very deeply. It's written about in Joy Road. It wasn't a, a glamorous place to live, but it was a place that I could call home. And the cocaine had threatened my my security here. And uh, a friend of mine from New York, uh, who's also written about in this book, came up, found me in this condition, and literally took me from the house and locked me in a room in New York City and took me to healers, he took me to an acupuncturist. But what I realized, he took me away from that which I cared for. I had animals here, thank goodness I had a friend that looked after them. But more than anything, I wanted to get back to that place I had found, that that safe place I had found and threatened with my own behavior. Um, and in that, in that two week period of time and getting treatments and drinking uh, olive oil and lemon juice and garlic and cleaning out my liver. What really worked was I was scared to lose that which I loved. So I, I, I think it was an act of will, a daily act of will, because in my opinion, like you, you know, we are all recovering from something. And though we may have made it far down the road from 20 years ago, we're still recovering parts of ourselves that got left behind somewhere. Have you done the work to heal that child within? Yes, I did a lot of wonderful work with great, great techniques. I've done a lot of deep inner work. Is it still a daily struggle for you? I wouldn't call it a daily struggle. I would call it um, a daily, a daily joy. I really enjoy taking care of myself. And I enjoy watching parts of myself wake up and other parts that maybe weren't that positive. I like seeing them diminish and and dissolve as I find ways to be stronger and more positive. Tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing today to help people stay well. Um, I'm a massage therapist in Woodstock. And um, for me, having an hour with a person and having that contact with not only their story that they're that they they say with their mouth but the story that their body holds is very different oftentimes so i get to listen to what their somatic memories are and i get to listen to what their words are and help them weave together remedies for the rest of the day or maybe even the rest of their life i use words uh, words are very important to me, and I've been making inspirational uh, posters just that are prayers and uplifting. I think that words kind of are, are little torches that can light our way. And I just recently created these little kingdom cards, and it's a little box with phrases I've been collecting during my recovery. Um, Step into your promised land. Prepare to prosper. Receive your miracle. Stay sweet enjoy being you those kind of things that so often i as i as i read about you and as i and i learn about you i realize that you know you tell people to curb their emotions and eliminate excuses and learn to collaborate with others those are the kind of things that i think really help people grab something positive and and maybe maybe change their attitude because i think when we change our attitude we change our altitude and again, it brings us back up into the balcony where we see, yes, I can help myself. I can do better today. What would be a takeaway from this conversation? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would like to leave your listeners with um, a great deal of gratitude. Anybody that tunes in to listen to your program is somebody that's either gone through something or knows somebody who has gone through something. And they're filling their hearts and their minds with wisdom. So I just say be encouraged and know that there's people out there that are praying for you. So I just hope that really the, the, the glory and the grace that so exists to support us 
is felt by everyone, one word at a time, one step at a time, one choice at a time. The book is Joy Road, My Journey from Addiction to Recovery. If you would like to learn more about Julie and her work, you can visit wordsbyjulieevans.com. That's wordsbyjulieevans.com. Or as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, and be sure to sign up for our mailing list. Julie, thank you so much for joining us. Your story is so inspiring. So thank you for your work. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you. And God bless you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Heidi Rome, an autism mom coach and founder of Mom's Spectrum Oasis. Heidi's autism hope mindset system empowers a mom to take back her life while creating a bright future for her Spectrum child. Heidi is here today to discuss the four agreements and the autism journey. Welcome, Heidi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. A pleasure to be here. Heidi, in our last segment, we talked about Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, and how his words apply to the autism journey. And we discussed his agreements number one and two. Today, we're going to talk about agreements three and four. So let's begin there with agreement number three, don't make assumptions. How does that agreement apply to someone on the autism journey? This is such a good one. To me, this is a reminder to check for understanding. You know, the way a waiter at a restaurant will often read back what the table has just ordered to make sure he got it right, doesn't that save a lot of trouble compared with assuming something without asking? Be curious, not furious, because not checking right away can leave the door open to misunderstanding or assumptions that will show up more dramatically later when it is more difficult to admit or make a change and someone's feelings are hurt. An assumption is not the truth unless you ask and confirm it with the person you are making an assumption about. A couple of huge assumptions on the autism journey is that people with autism don't have feelings and that nonverbal people, especially if they have behavioral challenges also, do not understand and do not care what anyone is saying. Both of these assumptions are completely false and do tremendous harm to our autistic kids' education and self-esteem. If you absolutely cannot stop yourself from generalizing, usually a big mistake, then positively presume competence in order to do no harm. Do not assume you know another person's motivation, thinking, or feeling unless they tell you. Even if you believe 
based on your own life perspective, that it is obvious. The fact is, with autism, the obvious is often not what it seems to be. For example, autistic kids who bang their heads or otherwise hurt themselves are not doing that because they like to feel pain. They may be feeling pain somewhere else in their bodies and not be able to express that or or are trying to ground themselves while experiencing overwhelming sensory overload or have OCD or are having an uncontrollable meltdown. And there are many more possible explanations, none of which is obvious. Be patient, be kind, and seek understanding instead of making assumptions about your fellow human being. And Heidi, what about agreement number four, which is always do your best? I love the self-kindness of this agreement. To me, it says, do your best to be your best. Be your best to do your best. Following the first three agreements is a great practical way to begin to do your best as you move forward in life toward your own personal goals. Remember agreement number one, be impeccable with your word. Agreement number two, don't take anything personally. Agreement number three, don't make assumptions. Do your best, always do your best, is encouraging you to fulfill your own unique potential and express your own gifts. It involves the choice to do the best that one can individually manage, which will naturally vary across different times and different situations. Ruiz believes that if we avoid self-judgment and do our very best in every given moment, we can avoid the suffering of regret and sadness later on. Imagine if we could no longer say, if only. That is the opportunity that the agreement always do your best offers. And it's a golden one. Do you see the self-compassion here? The agreement is always do your best, not always do things perfectly or never make a mistake. We autism moms especially need to give ourselves a break. When we do our best to make decisions out of love for our child, and the intention to guide them to happiness, growth, and independence to whatever degree is possible, there are no mistakes, only learning. We can gather information and advice, trust our gut, and have the courage to be accountable and take action in the right time without waiting for some other outside authority or self-proclaimed experts to tell us what to do. Joan, remember when I spoke during one of our prior conversations about the myth of the good mother, a terrible byproduct of the tragedy narrative of autism? Mm -hmm. This is a harmful belief in a societal agreement that it is mom's job to fix and cure and change our autistic child and make him as typical a person as possible. So this agreement of always do your best is especially critical for autism moms because it lets us off this painful hook and out of a no-win situation. It allows us to figure out how to meet our child's evolving needs, to teach him skills to educate him, and to prepare practically for his future in a way that is aligned with his individual abilities as best we can. This agreement lets us always do our best to be there for our child throughout all time without having to do the impossible, hurtful task of changing a human being we claim to love unconditionally. As a wise person said to me when I had expressed my despair about failing to heal Ethan, your child has his own guardian angel, and it's not you. When we always do our best, we are then free to let go of our illusory control and trust God to do his part. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Heidi and her work, you can visit Mom's spectrumoasis.com that's moms with an s or as always to hear more from heidi you can visit our website cyacyl.com slash heidi have you ever been in pain or have symptoms that go undiagnosed did you feel like you would try whatever your physician recommended right away think again hi i'm Lori gardner registered nurse patient advocate and board certified health and wellness coach I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocate, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. As private nurse advocates, we have seen many clients in these situations. We know how challenging it is to transition from feeling normal one day to the next day getting hit with a medical issue so significant that it leaves you feeling scared, vulnerable, and confused. 
This change in your health status adds an incredible amount of stress, doubt, and worry in your life. It is natural to want to do the first treatment a doctor suggests, but is this the best time for you to make these kinds of decisions alone? I would say not. It is very important to obtain a second opinion and possibly a third opinion. If you make a hasty decision because you feel so poorly, it may not be the right decision. Patience is not something that comes easy to any of us when we are ill or in pain. We want the illness or pain to go away, yet you may need to embark on a journey that can take you to many specialists that consume your days in order to get a correct diagnosis. The reason patience is so important is that mistakes can occur if a decision is made too quickly. Taking the time to review all the options and do the needed research is crucial. If you need a nurse advocate and health coach to partner with you, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. This is WNYA, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Returning to the show to talk about his new Love and Peace initiative is Jeffrey Antonucci, author of the book Deep Within a Blueberry Sky. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you, Joan. It's wonderful to be back on your beautiful show. So let's begin by refreshing the memories of our listeners. Let's talk about your book, Deep Within a Blueberry Sky. This is your first novel. From where did you get the inspiration? Yep, thank you, Joan. Um, the inspiration for Deep Within a Blueberry Sky came to me literally like a slideshow before my eyes, just like that. Mm-hmm. And when I mm-hmm. saw that slideshow, my immediate thought was, wow, that's a beautiful story, and I'm going to write it. And I did. I ended up writing that story. And what did you hope to achieve by writing the book? Well, given the way the idea for Deep Within a Blueberry Sky came to me and all it took to get it published, I look at all of those things, Joan, as receiving a gift that I'd like now to pay forward. So there are many positive, uplifting messages in the story, along with recognizing and supporting various causes. I'd like to see these messages go out there where they can do the most good to support those causes and ultimately help those affected. One of the things Deep Within a Blueberry Sky highlights is the power of love and all the good that comes from love. When the gift of love is given, it gets reflected back to the giver in the same measure and all bask in its glow. How did that message lead you to the Love and Peace Initiative? So you're absolutely right about how the story highlights the beautiful power of love and all the good that comes from that love. I have to say, when I was writing the manuscript, I was living in that beautiful world. Well, one day I was writing, I happened to push myself back from my desk and started flashing my fingers on my right hand. I was like like moving them around. Don't ask me why. But that's what I did. Mm -hmm. It was then that my love and peace, a sign for our times, hand sign, was born. So it consists of holding up the thumb, index finger, and middle finger of the right hand. So in essence, it's combining an L that represents love in this case with the peace sign. And it symbolizes love and peace for all people and all things. So you had this beautiful idea, and I've seen photos of it, and I've, I've seen pictures of people around the world sharing this sign. So you've had this, this wonderful light that was turned on. What is it that you hope to have happen with this movement? Well, I find, Joan, really that thinking about this, that people for many years have been using the peace sign, right? Using the peace sign. But our world isn't very peaceful as a result. It hit me that love has been the missing ingredient all along. To get to the peace, we need to manifest the love. Love has to lead the way. So love and peace, a sign for our times, is what the world needs now. It is, in a sense, my offering of an olive branch to a very tumultuous world. 
So I had my nephew, Louis Hanson, which is a very talented graphic designer, create an awesome logo that combines the elements of the three-finger hand sign together with a dove representing peace along with a subtle reference to an olive branch. But Joan, it's going to take more than a hand sign and a pretty logo to get us where we need to be. So I created a mission, vision, and values for this initiative that I believe can get us there. Let's talk about the values that you encourage others to live by. What are the five values? And let's talk about each one of them. Sure, sure. So you're right. There are, as part of the values, to engage the five loves, as you just mentioned, to willingly, kindly, and gently impart love, peace, honor, and respect to all humanity and all creation. So to break down these five loves, the first love is to love, honor, and respect yourself. It all starts with you and what's within you. Joan, we are beautiful, perfect beings. I believe the very same power of love that drives the entire universe is in each and every one of us. Feeling this way about yourself establishes a solid, stabilized base from which to grow and prosper. First love, it starts with you. The second love is honor and respect what you do and the love you bestow. Listen, Joan, we don't give ourselves enough credit for all we do and all we are. When love is given, it gets reflected back to the giver in the same measure and all bask in its glow. It's when we open up and allow that power of love that's in us to flow out and onto others. And that's when we shine, as does that person who's receiving that love. Only good can come from that love. That brings us to the third love. And the third love is to love your time at rest, absorbing and embracing the loving world around you. While that beautiful you is out there doing all that beautiful good, it's okay to stop and take a break. Our bodies and our minds are like batteries. We need to slow it down and turn it off every once in a while and allow ourselves to recharge and not feel guilty about doing so. It's okay because it's in that time of rest and calmness that we can see and appreciate the beautiful and loving world around us and then feel it inside of us. So the fourth love is love, honor, respect, and heal Mother Earth. Mother Earth, Joan, is our mother. We're not treating our mother very nicely. She loves us and can provide us with all we need to live a healthy and happy life. But we have to meet her halfway. We're very clearly seeing, I'm sorry to say, the cause and ill effects of our selfish approach to our relationship with Mother Earth. Love, honor, respect, and heal her, and she'll reflect her love back to us, and we'll all benefit. And the fifth love, Joan, is love, honor, and respect each other and celebrate our similarities and differences. I just mentioned that Mother Earth is our mother. If Mother Earth is our mother, doesn't that make us then all brothers and sisters? I believe we are more similar than we are different. As I've said, there is no doubt in my mind that we all hold in equal measure inside of us the awesome power of love. That alone binds us together and makes us one. All we have to do is look beyond the surface of things, the surface of things, and see that beautiful light of love that shines in all of us and let that light shine on others. When we do that, we celebrate the gift of the glorious genius and imagination that the Creator bestowed upon us, making each and every one of us unique. So those are the five loves. <laughs> Jeffrey, this is a, it's a beautiful message, and it is truly what is needed today, probably more than ever. And so I want to encourage our listeners to get a copy of Deep Within a Blueberry Sky and to learn more about 
the Love and Peace Assigned for Our Times initiative. And, and to do so, you can visit Jeffrey's website, inspiredworks.net. That's inspiredworks.net. And Jeffrey, where else can our listeners go to learn more about what you're doing? Sure, Joan. Uh, I have a Facebook page. That's uh, Love and Peace Time. And um, also Instagram. And my Instagram page is inspired underscore works underscore ja jeffrey in our final moments in about 30 seconds or less what would you like to leave our listeners with joan to you you just you just said something where now is the time right now is the time we have to change the course we're on and we need to use the power of love that's in each and every one of us to create the loving, peaceful world we all want to have and deserve to have. So I, I believe we, as a community of humanity, each filled with the power of love, can eradicate hate in all its forms, and we can have a beautiful, glorious world. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. You are a very special man, and you're doing special work. Your work is a blessing to all of us, and we all need to spread the message of love, like you said. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing this wonderful message that needs to be heard. Joan, my absolute pleasure, and thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. Do you consider yourself a good listener? More importantly, do you feel you are truly being heard when you speak? Hi, I'm Jessica L. Conrad. I'm a certified life coach and a member of the ICF New Jersey chapter. I help all women shift their mindsets so they can move forward towards their goals. I specialize in working with women who have fertility issues. Here is a two-step process that you can use to become a better listener. You can also share this with family and friends so you can feel you are being heard. It is called A and V, acknowledge and validate. First is acknowledging. This is a deep level of mirroring back or paraphrasing what somebody has said. You can start by saying something like, what you're saying is, or correct me if I'm wrong. Next is validating. This is letting the person know they have every right to feel the way they do. We validate emotions. We don't judge, tell them it's right or wrong. We want them to feel normal for having those feelings. You can say something such as, you have every right to feel that way, or that's perfectly normal. Try using this process and you'll see what a difference it can make. For more information, please visit my website at jessicalconrad.com or book a free 20-minute discovery call at helphopehappy.com. Do you wake up in the morning feeling refreshed and energized, or do you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, as they say? Do you practice gratitude? Hi, I'm Carrie Curapito from KNP Holistic Health and Fitness. I'm a holistic health and lifestyle coach and yoga teacher. Perception is everything. You can set the tone for the rest of your day upon rising every morning. As soon as you wake up every morning, before you even get out of bed, think of three things you are grateful for. Try to think of three different things every single day. This can be as simple as, I am grateful to be alive, or I am grateful for the air I am breathing. I am grateful I have shelter. I am grateful I have food. I am grateful for my family. I am grateful for my pet. I am grateful for my sight. I am grateful for my hearing. I am grateful for music. I just listed about nine different things there. Of course, every day, you may not be able to think of three different things that you were grateful for. That's okay. At least think of one. Or perhaps you could think of more as I just did. You can choose to make it a great day. You may not be able to control circumstances that may happen during the day, but continue to show gratitude to every situation. Every situation is a learning experience and helps you to grow. This simple tip can help you lead a happier, less stressful life. Are you ready to incorporate healthy tips like this into your everyday life? I can help you incorporate changes you can stick to. Visit my website at canpholistic.com to book your appointment today. Namaste. 
Do all leaders have followers? Well, not exactly. Leading others is defined as formal leadership, and it's only part of the full picture. As a leader, the most important person you will ever lead is you. To most effectively lead others, consider mastering the art of self-leadership. Understand who you are and what gives your life value. Establish your life's purpose and pursue it with confidence, skill, and commitment. Know where you're going and how you're going to get there. Leadership of others begins with leadership of self, and leadership of self begins with the development of your personal potential. In order to become more of a leader, you need to become more of you. Everyone has leadership potential. We've seen it with emergencies, where people step up to the plate and become heroes. We observe leadership daily in more routine and everyday situations. Parents assume a leadership role in the home, and in social settings, someone assumes a role to influence where the group will go or what they'll do. Although everyone has the potential to lead, few develop it. Because of this, they never experience the thrill of a significant accomplishment and the satisfaction of becoming the best they can be. Why? Some may not be aware that the opportunity for growth exists. Others may not know where to begin. Still, others don't take the time and make the effort to understand the process. And unfortunately, many people think life is a spectator sport. The success of our business organizations and the future of our society depends on the effectiveness of leaders like you. If you would like to learn more, feel free to reach out to me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit my website, staronprofessional.com. Have you recently found a love interest through an online dating site, but something just doesn't feel right? You might be the victim of a romance scam. Hi, I'm Dan Coleman, professional investigator and founder of Creative Solutions Investigative Services. I'm often called upon to confirm the identity of a person someone met through an online dating website. Unfortunately, their stories always end with a new love interest asking for money. These skilled scammers set up fake profiles on dating sites geared toward mature or Christian singles with the romancing starting quickly. They present themselves as a thoughtful, caring, and loving individual who is looking for their soulmate. They're very skilled at what they do. They ask a lot of questions about what you want from your life. The scammer then takes that information and creates a dream world telling you all the things you've always wanted to hear. The courting period could take place over several weeks or even months. Once they've established a relationship, then the scamming begins. In all cases, the plea for financial assistance is the key to the scam. If you suspect you or someone you love are the victim of a romance scam, don't be embarrassed. These people are very skilled at what they do. There are websites devoted to protecting victims of romance scams. Don't hesitate to report them to these websites or call the FBI Internet Crime Compliance Center. If you need more information or assistance, you can reach me, Dan Coleman, through my website, csinvestigations.info. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Today, to discuss child abuse is Patricia Larkin, a transformational coach, speaker, and author. Patricia is a trauma survivor who educates about trauma and healing modalities. She's a creator of Infinite Self Help and is an advisor with nothing but advice. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, Patricia, you've experienced abuse in your own life. How prevalent is child sexual abuse? Sexual abuse, specifically, the statistics are one in three girls and one in three boys before the age of 18. But we don't know if it could be more prevalent due to underreporting because there's so much shame and taboo around the topic. Is the predator usually someone that a child knows? Absolutely. We have that old myth that child sexual abuse is a stranger, and it's just not true. It's someone that the parents usually know about and trust to be around their child. Are there signs that adults can watch for that might indicate a child is in trouble? Yes, and it's interesting because if you look back on it, hindsight is twenty twenty, and it seems 
obvious, but the kid normally they're really too scared to tell. They're too scared to tell, but they will hint at it and they'll hint at it in their behaviors. So for me, um, you know, my mother was aware that I disliked the abuser and I was very rude and disrespectful to the abuser who was a family member. And she was very hurt that I was didn't love this family member and she didn't understand why? Another sign, not so obvious, I engaged in shoplifting and stealing. So by the age of eight years old, I just started stealing things um, because I didn't feel okay inside. So if a parent or an adult sees some of these signs, is there something that that adult can do to encourage a child to open up about the abuse? Children will hide it. So there must be a deep connection with the child to where they feel safe. And the parent has to ask again and again and again and again and again and ask in different ways because the studies actually show that a child must be asked on average 12 times before they'll actually tell and confirm it because even when they tell, they'll recant and That's another example from my story. I actually told a teacher when I was 11 years old and they opened up a child abuse investigation and I became so afraid that I recanted and I lied and I said that I made it up. And if there's an outsider, a teacher, a neighbor, a friend, another relative who suspects something is going on, what should that adult do? That's tough because people are afraid to approach someone and they don't know how to do it. The best way to prevent child sexual abuse is actually educating children to tell and educating adults in prevention. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Nothing But Advice, you can visit nothingbutadvice.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember, the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, Listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.